Hi, my name is Neil, Neil Gorman, and this is my podcast, which is called The Gorman Limit. You're listening to it. Thank you for downloading it and, you know, letting my voice be in your ears. It's nice of you. How are you doing today? I don't know why I asked that question. I can't hear you answer, but I did. Uh, Regardless uh, that I can't hear you answer, I do hope that you're doing well, that you're having a decent time or a good time doing whatever it is that you're doing right now as you listen to this. So on today's episode of the podcast, I have been, I had a a lot of things, I keep this list of things that I think would be interesting to talk about on a podcast that I hope would be interesting to talk about on a podcast. And if I talk about something, you know, I scratch it off the list and there's a lot more things I think being added to the list than being taken off of the list. That's a sort of the way that it works. And so I have, I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of things that I think might be interesting to talk about on a podcast. And on today's podcast, the thing that I want to talk about is a really broad, very big subject. It's the subject of respect. And the way that I think many different people who go into, you know, mental health or education or, or different fields like that, a lot of people go into those fields and I think, you know, that they want to get respect from the people who they're working with, but they're not really great a lot of times at doing the things that might actually result in other people respecting them. At least that's been my experience, right? And what I want to do on today's podcast is talk about that a little bit. Talk about the desire to be respected. You know, kind of where where that desire might come from generally. Talk about the ways that people attempt to realize that desire. Talk about the ways that they attempt to make that desire happen. And then talk about the different effects of how they try to make respect happen. That's sort of my plan here for the podcast today. So if that sounds interesting to you, which I hope it does, I hope that you'll stick around after this bit of introduction music that I'm going to be playing starting in the background. You can hear it kind of getting a little bit louder probably. And uh, yeah, just stick around and you'll hear some things. You'll hear some stuff. Hopefully it'll be good. started, what I want to do is give you all the people who are listening to this a little bit of context so that you can get a, a sense of how I it came to me that, to talk about this on this podcast, right? To, to give you a sense of how the idea of talking about respect on this podcast seemed like a good idea. Here's the context. I am a, a lot of things. I, I, I make podcasts, obviously. You're listening to one of them. 
But when I'm not doing that, I do a lot of other stuff. I am a psychoanalyst. I'm a psychotherapist. It's one of the things that I do is I sit in a room and people come into that room and they talk to me about their lives, usually about something that's difficult in their lives. I have never, ever, ever had somebody knock on my door as a therapist or a psychoanalyst, right? And be like, hey, you're a therapist. Can I come in here and tell you how awesome my life is? I just would really like to. That's never happened to me. It's always been people coming to tell me about the things they're having difficulty with. Imagine that. So I do that. And I'm also a professor in a school of social work. I I teach graduate students who are getting their master's in social work or their doctorate in social work. One of those two things. And what happens as a result of the the work that I do is, is I'm very, very, very often talking to, engaging with people who want to you know, be helpful to other people. They want to go into a line of work where they will, in some way, shape, or form, have people coming to them or being sent to them, perhaps, because there's a problem in their life. And, you know, I'm a lucky person who has been, I guess, successful enough to uh, earn the right to teach people how to do that kind of a thing. To how to, I guess you'd say, be helpful to other people who come to you or who are sent to you for help. So that's uh, that's one of the things of context that you need to know. Second thing, in more my teaching line of work, one of the things that happens a lot is that uh, the students who I'm talking to will talk to me about things that they are experiencing. They'll say, hey, I have an internship or sometimes a job in mental health somewhere doing whatever. And this thing happened to me. And they, they want to tell me about it. And a lot of times they might have a question. You know, they want, they want some feedback or they want some ideas, uh, things of that sort, right? And they're asking me about it. And one of the things that comes up again and again in, in those sorts of situations is this idea of how does one who is a mental health professional get respect or earn the respect of the people who they are working with. That that's, that comes up a, a lot. And I think that one of the reasons that it comes up a lot is that very many, not all, but a lot of the students who I engage with are working in settings where the the people who they're, who have come to them for help or who have been sent to them for help are not going to be the sort of people who will readily just kind of give the mental health professional respect. That doesn't happen a lot. I should probably say a little bit more about this. Um, you, you'll notice that I've been saying people who come to you or people who are sent to you. I've said that I think like two or three times already in this podcast. So the the work that I do myself today after being in this field for more than 15 years, I, I have a private practice. I have, you know, people come to me generally, right? They, they come to me and they say, Hey, I heard about you from somebody else. I found you on the internet, something along those lines. You seem like somebody who might be able to be helpful to me. Uh, can I schedule an appointment, tell you about my life and will you then try to be helpful to me? That that's my life at this point. That wasn't always my life. 
when I got started in this field, I was working in a, a really different kind of environment. My first job in mental health, my first real job in mental health was working in a substance abuse treatment center. And all I, I talked about this on a previous episode of this podcast. So if this is oldnews.com for people who've listened to more than this episode, I apologize for, about that. But my first job in mental health was working in a substance abuse treatment center. All of the people who I was working with were people who had made a choice. And the choice was they could go to treatment or they could go to jail. And going to treatment was something that for them was a lot nicer, a lot easier, a lot better than going to jail would be. Now, these are not people who would have just voluntarily gone to substance abuse treatment. They, they're not somebody who, you know, said, oh, I have uh, some kind of a drug issue. I should probably get some help with that and then tried to get that help. That's not the people that I was working with in that job. I was working with people who were given, you know, you can go to jail, which is really awful and terrible, or you can go to a substance abuse treatment center, which is not something you want to do, but it is a lot better probably than going to jail. And so they, they, they air quotes chose the substance abuse treatment center. Uh, so that was the, and, and when they came in there, they didn't want to be there. They, the, the people wanted to be a lot of other places. They didn't want to go to jail either, obviously, but um, they didn't, they wanted to just get the treatment stuff. Like just tell me what I need to do so I can get it done. Like get out of here is what they were hoping for. Right. As short a stay as they could possibly have. Another job that I had early in my career in mental health was working in what are called therapeutic day schools. Uh, in the past, these probably would have been called alternative schools. The, the kinds of schools where you have a, a kid who is in an, uh, and I'm using my, in my air quote fingers here that you can't see normal school and they, they're not, they're doing things that make being in uh, regular school, normal school difficult. And like they don't go to school could be one thing or they get in fights when they're in school or they uh i don't know they come to school high uh, all the time something like that right so the the school says okay this kid being in school is it makes educating other kids like really difficult and so what we're going to do is we're going to take this kid out of the normal school and we're going to put them into some kind of a specialized school a therapeutic day school an alternative school whatever you want to call it those were the kind of kids that i was working with early on in my career were, were those kinds of kids. They didn't want to go to the therapeutic day school. They didn't like that they were being sent there. This was not something that they wanted. They, they were being sent to me. So when I talk about people either coming to you, which is what I experience a lot now, or being sent to you, which is what I experienced a whole lot more in earlier parts of my career, that's why I'm saying that. The students who I'm talking to today in the, in the present, the, the present as I'm recording this, most of them are in environments where the people who they are working with are not going to be the people who voluntarily sought them out. They're not going to be the people who have taken a look at their lives and said, there's something wrong with my life. I need to get some help with it. Uh, they're more often than not going to be the sorts of people who have gotten into some form of trouble and because they've gotten in trouble, institutions and systems have intervened in their lives. And when I say institutions or systems, what do I mean? I mean the police. I mean the court system, the criminal justice system, uh, those sorts of things. 
have, have entered into their lives and said, you need to get some form of mental health treatment. You, you have to do that or, and usually this is the second part or else face some kind of consequence that you're definitely not going to want to face. And so the, the sorts of clientele, the sorts of patients that the students that I talk to are dealing with are, are that kind. They're the kind of patients, the kind of clientele that have been sent, that has, have been told to do this or else. That's the kind of people who they're dealing with. And so, I mean, this happens a lot. Students will come and they'll say, hey, how do you get the, the people who I'm working with, the people who have been sent to me, who have not chosen to come to me, but, but have been told they have to, how do you get them to respect you? I could ask that question or some version of that question a whole bunch. And so that's why I thought it would be an interesting thing to talk about on the podcast. So having set that up, what we're going to do now, again, it's a little bit of a transition here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that question. We're going to talk about how one goes about maybe gaining, earning, producing some form of respect from people who are probably not that apt to give it to you that easily. Did you like that? Like action need music that I, I was I was playing to get you ready for this. Did you like that? It was a little emotionally manipulative, wasn't it? It kind of was. It was it was an emotionally manipulative use of music on my part. But I'm okay with that. I hope you're okay with that because I'm okay with that. It was fun. Did you have fun? I had fun. Anyways, we're not here to talk about the music, are we? No, we're not. We are here to talk about people wanting respect and what they might do to get it. So let's talk about that. So I want to start this section of the podcast off by telling you a thing that I've heard a lot. You've probably heard it too at, at some point in your life. Um, I've certainly heard it a whole lot at this point in my life. I have heard a, a lot of people say some version of the following thing. I don't care if people like me. That's not important to me. I'm not interested in being liked. That's not important. You don't have to like me, but you, whoever you are, you have to respect me. I've heard that a bunch, and I'm assuming you have too. So here's the thing that I've noticed about many of the people who say that. Uh, I was going to say all of the people who say that, but I don't know all of the people who say that. I only know the people who've said that, and I've heard them say that, right? So I'm, I'm, re I'm thinking about those people, the people in my life who I've heard say, a version of you don't have to like me, but you do have to respect me thinking of those people. When I reflect back on the people who I have heard say that they've said that in a bunch of different contexts and a bunch of different places where I've worked, I think that they are usually the least respected people in those environments. I'm going to say that again, because I think it's important in my experience, the people who say to others, you don't have to like me, but you have to respect me or some version of that. The people who say that tend to be the least respected people in 
that environment. And I think that's interesting. I really do, right? Why is it that the people, at least this is what I've noticed, why is it that the people who say that seem to really want respect, seem to be really concerned about respect, seem to have a huge amount of desire for respect, so much that they say to people, you're going to respect me. It might. It doesn't matter if you like me or not, but you're going to respect me. They say that. Why is it that those people are so usually not that respected? That that is actually a really interesting thing. Do you agree? I hope you do, because I think it's it's super fascinating. So let's dive into that. Let's let's dive into what's happening. I think what's happening in that kind of a statement. Let's take it apart. So let's start off with the first part. You don't have to like me. When uh, this is how those statements tend to start, I don't care if people like me. That's not important to me. I don't care about being liked. Is what the person is professing when they say those words. I don't. You don't have to like me, or I don't care if you like me, comma. But you will respect me. That first part. You don't have to like me, or I don't care if you like me. That statement, I believe, is what Freud, Sigmund Freud. You might have heard of him. He called that a negation. What's a negation? So glad you asked. A negation is when somebody makes a statement saying that they're not a thing. And what that statement reveals is that they actually are the thing that they are claiming not to be. Or you, you could say a negation is where somebody says that they do not feel something, that they do in fact feel a whole bunch let me give you a couple of examples of negation just to, to, I think, make that a little bit more concrete in your mind. Uh, there might be somebody who will say to another person, hey, um, I, I'm not a racist, comma, but, and then they'll say something which is actually a very racist thing to say. So the first part of the statement, I am not a racist, that would be a negation. It's them saying they're not the thing that they actually are. Okay. Or when somebody says, um, I don't care what you think about blah, blah, blah thing. A lot of times when people say that, if you, you pay attention, what you'll realize is that they actually do care. They care a lot about what the other person who they're talking to thinks. If they really didn't care, they probably just wouldn't say anything about it at all. They would just not care about it. Right. Like, so for example, I don't, uh, go around saying to people, I really don't care about, you know, how many satellites we have in orbit around Jupiter because I just go through my life not caring about that. It's not important to me, right? So I, I and because it's not important to me, I tend not to really say much about it. I, I said something about it now just to prove a point, but that's, that's not the kind of thing that I would go and, you know, say to somebody. There, there have been times where I've said to somebody something like, you know, I don't care what you think, or I don't care what you believe, or something like that. And whenever I've said that thing, if I'm being honest, what, what that does is it, it's a betrayal. It's a self-betrayal. It's me saying I don't care because I do care. That's not what a negation is. So hopefully that clears up what a negation is in your head. So when somebody says something like, you don't have to like me, or I don't care if you like me, I think that's the chances are very, very likely that 
that is a negation and that the person who says that actually cares so much, cares a whole lot about whether the person who they're speaking to likes them. That's something that they really want. They want to be liked. They're saying they don't want it. They're saying they don't care about it. That's inaccurate. What is really going on is that they do care about it. Okay? That's point number one. The, the, the people who say that are, I, I think anyways, very often kind of desperate to be liked. Now, there, there are times where they might not care that much about the person who they're talking to liking them, but they, they really do want to be liked, maybe generally, right? Being liked is something which is very important to them. That's, that's how I hear that kind of a statement, okay? You got it? I'm sure you do. You're a smart person. Let's move on to point number two here. When the, the second part of the statement is, uh, you don't, you know, somebody says, you don't have to like me, or I don't care if you like me. That's not accurate. But you do have to respect me. Let's, let's take a look at the second half of the statement that comes after the comma, but you're going to, or you have to, or you will respect me when, when somebody says something along those lines. That is, when, when we think about this, right, can, can you actually force anybody, can anybody actually force another person to have respect for them? Uh, this is a rhetorical question because I don't think you can. You know, I don't think that you, you're listening to this right now. I can't force you to agree with me. I can't force you to respect me or force you even to disrespect me either, right? Like I can say things and do things and you will witness the things that I say, the things that I do. And then based on your perception of those things, you'll make a choice about whether or not you find me and the actions that I engage in to be respectable or not right? That's actually totally 100% your call. I, I might be able to influence you by saying things in a certain way or by doing things in a, in a way that is generally, you know, leads to people respecting me. If I do that, it's probably more likely that you'll respect me than if I go around and like say things and do things that are really jerk face things to say and do, right? But y- you are the one who decides if you are going to respect me or not. I don't get to demand that from you. Now, here, here's the thing. The people who make these statements, I don't care if you like me, but you will respect me. The, the second part of that is just nonsensical. You can't actually, well, you can verbally make the demand that somebody respect you. Obviously, people can do that. They do do that. You can't actually make it happen. That's not, that's not possible. You can't. It, it is impossible to make another person respect you. I think it's impossible to make another person love you. I think it's impossible to make another person, you know, think that you're interesting or cool. You don't get to make them think or feel anything at all ever. It never happens. All you can do, all you can do is, you know, try to behave in a way that will influence a person you know, maybe one way or the other, make them more likely to respect you, less likely to respect you. That's something that you can do. When people make the statement, I don't care if you like me, but you will respect me. It's really interesting to me because, you know, in, in making that statement, what I think ends up happening is that the person who hears that statement ends up, I would say nine out of 10 times, losing respect for the person 
who makes the statement? Because whether or not they've thought this out, you know, clearly in their own mind or not, they they have like an intuitive grasp of this. They have an intuitive grasp that respect is something to uh, that they can grant or withhold, period, right? They, they know that. Uh, like I said, they might not have actually thought that sentence that it, I can grant or respect or I can withhold respect, but they, they know it. They know it somehow. We all know it in some way, shape or form, right? We, we do. And so when people make that statement, they're the first part, right? They're betraying themselves. They're saying something which is inaccurate, uh, which is a lie. I don't care if you like me or not. That's, that's not true. And they follow that up with a thing, which is a demand for something that you can't actually demand another person give you. You, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's an ineffective demand, period. It, it won't work. And so what ends up happening, I think, is that the person who hears this, they end up going like, oh, oh okay. I'm. <laughs> they, they make choices, basically, after somebody says that kind of thing to them. Now, they may choose to you know, just act as if they respect the person, which is not the same thing as respecting them. This is a really important point. This is the next point I'm going to talk about. You know, if somebody, I've been on the receiving end of this, right? I, a lot of times when I was a teenager, I remember once I had a gym teacher in high school and my, my gym teacher in high school was not somebody who I liked nor somebody who I respected very much for a whole bunch of reasons that I won't get into today. Anyways, he would very often say to me and other people, I don't care if you like me, but you will respect me. And, you know, and then he would say something like, did you hear me? You know, like, so he's, he's demanding that we acknowledge what he just said. And usually what I would do is I would say like, yes, sir, I heard you, you know? So I would say yes. And I would call him sir. Right. So that was behaving in the way that he wanted me to behave. It was behaving in the way that somebody would behave if they respected this gym teacher. But the thing is here, I didn't respect him at all. I, I could, so there's a major difference, I think, anyways. I think there's a huge, 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 massive, like Grand Canyon size difference between acting as if you respect somebody just because it will make your life easier to do that and actually having respect for them. I think those are very, 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 very different things. They're not the same thing. And what this is so fascinating to me too. The people who make the the statement, I don't care if you like me, but you are going to respect me. You know, they they will oftentimes do what this gym teacher did. Did you hear what I said? You know, they go acknowledge me, right? And and then a lot of times people will just because it's not worth it to get into a silly power struggle with somebody who makes this sort of statement, which starts off with a lie and then follows up with an impossible demand right? You just are like, okay, I want this person to leave me alone. And so you just say, say the thing that they want to hear in order to get them to, to leave you be so that you can go on with the rest of your life unimpeded by them. That's not respect. It's not, it's not even close to respect, right? So here's the last point I want to make around this thing. I think that a lot of times the people who make the kind of statement, I don't care if you like me, or you don't have to like me, but you are going to respect me, exclamation point. They're people who are trying to do something, which is look as if they are confident and in control and unafraid. And again, the, 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 what I notice anyways, is that when people make that statement, what it actually shows is their insecurity, their lack of confidence, their lack of control, 
And it, it also shows just how scared they are because they lack confidence, because they are insecure, because they lack control. That's what I see it as. And the reason I want to say this last bit here is this is this is where this is sort of like a I didn't know if I was even going to work this in, but I'm going to try here. You know, when I hear people make that statement today, which every now and then I still will hear people make that statement. When I was a young man, I would hear that thing. And that statement, you, I don't care if you like me, but you will respect me. That would make me mad. I would get angry when I, I heard it because I thought it was ridiculous. Now, as an older person, when I hear that, it, there are times where it makes me angry. That does sometimes still happen. But I think that one of the things that shifted is that usually at this point in my life, I don't get angry. Instead, I look at the person and I feel sorry for them. I actually don't, I, I feel bad. I, I see somebody who is really scared, really insecure, really seems like they don't have the kind of control that they would like to have in whatever situation. And they are desperate. They're so desperate to, to get people to, as I started out saying in point number one, they're so desperate to get people to like them and respect them because they think if they make that happen, that they will no longer feel insecure, that they will have the kind of control that they, they, they want to have. And they're going about it in this way, which is not going to get them what they want. I, at least I don't think it is. And I actually do feel sorry for them. I feel bad. I feel, uh, in a sense, uh, pity for people who make this kind of a statement. And uh, I don't know, maybe somebody who's listening to this is somebody who's made these kind of statements. Maybe you're getting mad because you don't want people to pity you. But if you make that kind of statement, you are probably the kind of person who I would pity because of your massive amount of insecurity, you know? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the thing here. That's the last point that I want to make here. When, when somebody makes this statement, a lot of times they're, they're people who I think are probably a bit of a bully or perhaps even a lot of a bully. And it's really easy to hate bullies. It's really easy to, I suppose, even to test bullies. I spent a lot of my life being very frustrated with angry at bullies but you know bullies are super insecure again this is something that we've probably heard before even though go i risk sounding cliche when i say this but they are they're super insecure people and uh so so if you're ever in a situation i suppose where you hear somebody say this you know i don't care if you like me but you're gonna respect me you know you might get angry you might get frustrated i don't know um don't if you can avoid it, right? See what's actually going on there. See that this is somebody who is deeply insecure and they're attempting to sort of cure themselves of their insecurity in this way, which is not going to work, but they don't know that, right? That's something. If you're somebody who says these sorts of things, you know, maybe hearing this, if you've listened this far, will cause you to reflect on your own actions. And when you've said the instances in which you've said this kind of a statement and the reasons that you've said it, and who knows what will happen if, if you're one of those people. I, I don't know. But I, I wish you the best. I truly do. So that's uh, that's that. We've talked about that. Again, we're going to do a bit of a transition here. And when we come back from this transition, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to illustrate by telling you a story, uh, a really weird way that you might end up sometimes getting respect from people. That is where we're going to go next. Keep listening.
right, we are back. Did you like that transition music? Did you like the banjo? A little bit of banjo in that transition music? I like the banjo. I hope you like the banjo. I think the banjo was cool. I hope you agree. Um, but anyways, that's not important. We're not here to talk about banjos, are we? No, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about respect and how people try to get it and fail. And in this story, what I'm going to try to do is talk about a way that I ended up getting respect from somebody who really didn't give it to me before, right? There was a long period of time where the person is a kid, a kid who was in a school where I was teaching. This kid really, really did not respect me at all for a, a huge amount of time. And then one day we had this instance where he did something and I responded to it. And based on the weird way that I responded to it, I think he went from not liking me or respecting me to both liking and respecting me. And that's going to be the point of the story. But before I tell you the story, I have to warn you about something. Are you ready for a warning? Here's the warning. This story involves um, me swearing. I'm going to have to swear to tell you the story. I'm going to have to say foul words, curse words, swear words. So if you're in a place right now where you're listening to this, and it would be bad if swear words came out of the speakers, right? If you're in that kind of a spot, what you should do is hit pause, hit stop, you know, make the podcast come to a screeching halt and uh, make some other sounds come through your speakers. That's what you should be doing. And right now I'm talking about this to stall and give people who need it the time to find the stop button, find the pause button, right? And hit it so that I can go on and tell the story that I would like to tell. And now I feel like I have stalled enough and I am going to start the story. Uh, the swear words come later, but uh, it may, it's weird. Like I probably shouldn't have set it up that way. It makes it sound like the swear words are going to come really fast and they're not. They come later in the story. But anyways, here's the story. I'm a teacher in a school and I'm teaching history to people. Now, there's some people who come into my class. They like history. They like me. They think I'm funny or interesting. I don't know. They tend to appear as if they like being in my class. I have quite a few students that would meet that sort of a description, but not every student meets that description. In fact, there are some students who seem to really, really just hate being in my class. They hate history or they hate me or both. I don't know. They don't like being there and they're not shy about broadcasting that, right? They ask questions like, what is the point of this? Why do I need to know this? This is stupid. Uh, so on and so forth, right? There's, there's some kids who just they make it so obvious. They make it so clear that they don't like my class. Uh, and sometimes there's a kid who makes it very clear that not only does he not like my class, but he or she also does not like me. Right. And, and there's a kid in one of my classes. This was a class that was later in the day. We're getting, getting on in the day. The day was getting long in the tooth. Right. So I, I think the, the school day, consisted of eight separate class periods. And this was like, I think it was like period number seven of eight, right? So it's late in the day. And it's a U.S. history class that I'm teaching, a, a basic U.S. history class. And, you know, one day, the, at this point in the year as well, uh, it's, it's like more than halfway through the academic year. Like kids have gone on their winter break and come back from their winter break. They're back in school at this point. So I, I know these kids, they know me, right? This isn't like a, the start of a year or anything like that. The year has been going on for a while. And during the vast majority of this year, there's one kid in one, in the seventh period U S history class who really 
very often just tries to make my job difficult, right? He says really outrageous things that are designed to either get a rise out of me or get a rise out of some other kid in the class. He, 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 and, and the thing here too is it's not like he's, he's doing anything that is like super ultra, really bad, awful. He's just, he's instigating a lot, right? He's trying to like push people's buttons and stuff. And he's, he's a kid that is tough to be around. At least he was tough for me to be around. I think that I I suppose that it's likely that some of the other kids in the class also had a hard time being around him, but he was there and we were there. So we were going to have to be together. So, um, one day I'm teaching a class and as I'm teaching the class, this kid falls asleep. He falls asleep in the middle and you, it's not like he might've been asleep. He was asleep. There was like, you know, snoring and drool on the desk asleep thing. Right? So normally when it, in, in this school, if somebody slept in class, what you were supposed to do is you were supposed to write this thing called a behavior referral, right? Which said that this kid did this thing. They slept through their class and it would go to the, the kid's dean and the dean would, I don't know, do something about this. I think we have a conversation with the kid. I don't know what the dean was going to do exactly, but I was supposed to write a behavior referral and send it to the dean. And when kids slept in my class, I usually did that um, kind of a thing, right? here's the thing, actually, I should, this is, this is kind of an important detail. Now that I think about it, right? Sometimes a kid sleeping in class was, you know, something that you, it was weird. It it, it signified something else is going on in their lives. So if a kid is falling asleep in class and they're doing it rather often, we'll say there might be a reason for this. And that reason might be that, you know, they're, they're having a hard time sleeping at night. And the reason they're having a hard time sleeping at night is because they're homeless or or something like that. Like those sorts of things could and did happen. And so, um, you know, the, a lot of people would say the reason you would, would write a behavior referral when a kid was sleeping would be to try to identify any sorts of problems that this, that might be corrected or, or something like that. It wasn't, supposed to be getting a kid like in trouble is the point that I'm trying to make. Now, I don't know if that's actually what happened, right? Because I don't know how all of the deans handled those sorts of behavior referrals, but I know that the theory behind them was if you did these sorts of things, you might be kind of helping a kid out or or whatever. So this kid slept in my class and uh, at the end of class, the bell rang, it's time to go. And so the kid kind of gets woken up and he looks at me and uh, he says, are you going to write me up for sleeping? And I say, yeah, probably. Uh, I'd written him up for sleeping before. <laughs> this is not the first time that he had slept. I'd written him up for a lot of things, in fact. Uh, so he hears me say that. And there, actually, there's an important detail I should have told you at the start of the story, and I neglected to. I apologize about that. I will tell you this important detail now. At the time that this story takes place, I was a vegetarian. I'm no longer a vegetarian. But at, this, at the time that the story takes place, I was a vegetarian. Uh, I'd been a vegetarian for like years at this point. And um, the kids that I taught, they they knew a lot of them knew I was a vegetarian and a lot of them were fascinated by that. They thought that was really weird to be a, like vegetarians were like unicorns and leprechauns, things that they had heard of, but they'd never actually met one. Uh, probably because they were all these kids were living in neighborhoods where it would be really, really hard to be a, a vegetarian. The There was not a lot of vegetarian options. There was a lot of options for really bad for you fast food, but there was not like a whole foods or something like that in this neighborhood where, where this story is taking place. 
And they'd, so they'd be like, you're a vegetarian. Does that, do you eat chicken? <laughs> do, you, do you eat fish? And yeah, so on and so forth. I'd get that question all the time. And so th- this kid who was sleeping in my class, he knew that I was a vegetarian. So he has slept in class. Class has come to an end. He wakes up. He asks me, are you going to write me up for sleeping? I say, yeah, probably. He knows I'm a vegetarian. And he looks at me and he says, then fuck you in your rabbit ass mouth. That's what he says. Fuck you in your rabbit ass mouth. And um, he says this and there's other kids around. Some kids have left the room, but not all of the kids have left the room. So now all the kids who are in the room have heard him say this like insulting thing to me, right? And it's that that thing where like everybody now turns their head in my direction because they're really curious about what I'm gonna, how I'm gonna respond to this kid saying this obviously extremely disrespectful thing that you're not supposed to say to a teacher. And um, I heard him say it. I registered the words and uh, I looked at the kid and I said, huh, you know, that was funny. That makes me laugh. I've never heard that one before. I've never been told that. That was creative, what you just did there. Because you did something creative, that's kind of funny. I'm not going to write you up. You've gotten out of being written up because you've said something amusing. And the kid and other, the other kids in the room are like, wait, what? I'm like, no, seriously. Like usually I, I mean, I, this is in the school, by the way, people say disrespectful things to me very often. It's not that rare. Um, it, they, not just to me, to pretty much any teacher gets disrespected on a fairly regular basis. And, and uh, I was like, you know, usually people say really predictable things to me, right? They, they, it's the same insult again and again and again. But what you just said, that was original. That was new. That was different. And, you know, so because of that, you're not, you're not in trouble. Now, if you say the same thing again later, it will no longer be original. It will no longer be different. It'll just be something that I've heard before and you'll get written up then. But, you know, for this time you're, you're off the hook. So, you know, go and enjoy the rest of your day, please. And that was that, right? I, I think I left the room at that point and kind of stood out in the hallway And here's the thing. Something happened in that instant. The kid shifted because after that, after that moment, he started to come to my class and he slept less. He was less disruptive. He was certainly, he, he treated me with what I would recognize as more respect after this, right? I think that what I did there was actually tried to behave in a way that didn't demand respect, right? Like I didn't say like, you will respect me. I didn't do that. Instead, what I did is I tried my best to behave in a way that I thought might generate some respect from him, right? I surprised him. I didn't do the thing that has always been done, which is you're in trouble because that's clearly not working. Instead, I tried something different. Now, I mean, I didn't think this out beforehand. I didn't know that this kid was going to say this thing to me. When he said it to me, I didn't, I couldn't like pause and be like, what should I do here? I just sort of like reacted with what felt right to me in that moment. And that was that. And it worked. It actually worked. This kid went from being a kid who was always giving me a hard time, who was always treating me as somebody who he neither liked nor respected. And he started to treat me like somebody who he thought was, you know, okay. Why? Because rather than just, you know, responding in the same old way, you're not allowed to say disrespectful things to me. 
I responded differently. I said, you said a disrespectful thing to me. It was creative. It was a little kind of funny, actually. You know, so you're not in trouble. That, that's what I did. You're not in trouble. That was the move. And, you know, he, he changed. He changed. It, it's weird. It, I didn't know that this was going to happen. I actually didn't expect anything from this. When I did this, I was just like, you know, whatever. You know, I've been dealing with this for a long time. I'll just do this this time. We'll see what happens. And it ended up working in, in a very interesting, very surprising way. Uh, sub story to this story. Word of this incident instance traveled, you know, kids told other kids who told other and adults overheard. And I remember even actually talking to a dean in the school about this later. And the dean was like, you know, you, you really can't do that. You really can't just like let kids get away with saying that thing to you. And I was like, why not though? Like, I mean, he said it to me, he didn't say it to you. You know, if, if you need to discipline me because I didn't discipline him. Okay. You know, I'll accept that. I'll accept your disciplinary action for my response. If that's something that you actually need to do, that's okay with me. And the dean was like, why don't you just write them up? And I was like, because I don't want to, because I'd be a liar. I told him I wasn't going to write them up. So I'm not going to write them up. And like I said, if that means that I am in trouble, then I am in trouble. I'll deal with it. It's fine. You know, and, and it, as it turns out, I wasn't in trouble. Uh, the dean just didn't like what I did. A lot of other people in the school also didn't like what I did, but there were some people who were like, oh, they, they saw how it worked, right? They, they, you know, months went by and, and eventually the school year came to an end. And then later on, people would be like, do you remember that time that kid said that thing to you? And instead of being like, oh, you're in trouble, you were like, oh, that was funny. And how like he started, it changed things. I like, yeah, yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah, I wish we could do that more. You know, some people liked what I did. More people didn't like it. A few people did like it. But anyways, <laughs> all of this, this story, this weird story that I've told in a more disjointed way than I expected is to illustrate something. Instead of when the kid said the disrespectful thing, instead of responding as a typical authority figure and being like, you are not allowed to speak to me in that way. You don't have to like me, but you'd better respect me. I, which I could have done. Instead, I was just like, okay, hey, you neither have to like nor respect me. Obviously, you don't like or respect me right now. Rather than trying to force you to like and respect me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to treat you as if I might like and respect you a little bit. Let's see what happens. And it worked. It worked, right? I don't know if that would work every single time. Every time somebody insults you, this isn't going to be something you can do. But if there is an instance where you might be able to do something, I don't know, similar to this, you could try it if you wanted to, right? So that's it. Uh, that's my story. And on that note, I think that I am going to wrap up this podcast, this episode of The Gorman Limit. Thank you for taking the time to download and listen to it. I appreciate that. Uh, if you want to know more about this podcast, there's a website you can go to, thegormanlimit.com. You'll see things there, uh, different stuff. You can look at it if you want. And if you don't want to, that's fine too. So anyways, that's it. I'm done. Uh, I will let you get on with the rest of your day. Whatever you're about to do, I hope you have fun doing it. And uh, as you go through the rest of your days and weeks, remember, make glorious mistakes. <laughs>